0: Hello everyone, it's August 21st, 2018. This week we speculate on speculations about what a Russian satellite may be up to, and we do the same for all the new upgrades coming to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. It'll be a few years though, but in the meantime, liftoff. And we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 172 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. Good morning, David. Good morning. Right now in the background that hopefully no one will hear, you have a 3D printer going, but... uh, Yeah, I do through the magic of whatever, you know, the hell it is that I can do with audacity, uh, that'll be <laughs> filtered out and hopefully no one will hear it.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I've got, so I've got a uh, Prusa Mark three that I've got in stealth mode and I turned it down to like 75% speed so that all you can hear, I mean, literally with my headphones off, all I can hear is the, uh, is the fans. And I, I guess I could turn the part cooling fan off cause I'm done doing bridging, so I don't really need it, but it, I'm, Printing something for somebody else, so I want it to be as high quality as possible.
0: Most episodes, I hear your cat in the background, but sometimes it's just 3D <laughs> printer. But it's always one of those two: it's a cat uh, scratching a litter box or whatnot, or just you know, like meowing, or it's a 3D printer.
1: I've only I've only had the 3D printer running like once before. Oh, I-, I think it's
0: no, I think it's been more than that. I mean, okay, maybe maybe not a lot, but maybe like two or three times. I, I do remember okay. because I've because okay. I've had All to edit right. that out, but uh, it's not too often. So just briefly, last week, um, I, I just found out something yesterday. So last week we were talking about the car fire. And yesterday, I found out about the car fire tornado. Did you know about this? Just to blow everyone's mind a little bit more. Or is this just not interesting news to you? Or is it- In your view, not a tornado?
1: No, I mean, it's not a tornado and it's like a very localized thing that happens in pretty much every fire. Just somebody got a good photo of it.
0: Well, from what I read, it's not the same thing as most other fires. I mean, usually, you know, there are like these convections and you get some, you know, like you get what looks like a tornado, but this apparently was equivalent to like an F3 tornado. So it's like, you know, 165 mile an hour winds and the temperature was above 2,700 degrees, which they say is hotter than liquid magma. And this was not your normal tornado in a fire like this was i mean they they can't explain it but it was much 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 bigger and much more powerful so i thought that it was different but i mean i i don't know they did I mean, just you know catch one brief maybe, image of it but
1: yeah may, i mean maybe maybe it is different but I, I think it's not an unusual thing i don't know i look i i'm so jaded and like <laughs> upset at cool things in general that mm-hmm.
0: yeah that does happen yeah <laughs> But this was new. This is cool. It's like it's also terrifying because I was just thinking. I mean, it was fairly large too. I mean, this is much larger than your than like your normal little. I don't know what you would call it, like a little fire devil, kind of like a dust devil. I mean, this was mm-hmm. pretty damn big. I th- I think it was. I don't know how many thousands of feet in the air. It and it did look like a tornado. I mean, it was that mm-hmm. big. This is like being on the surface of Venus. You know, I mean, like you couldn't get much worse than that. Like something like this can happen on Earth. Just kind of blew my mind. And I don't know what was left in the wake of it. I would be interested to see. I don't suppose anyone can get that close just yet, but eventually we'll know.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know what it looks like cuz it's it's 80% contained, but I don't know I don't know how much of that is actually burned out cuz I mean, I know that fires generally burn on the edges of their perimeters, right? Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. tend to consume what they can consume and move on. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know.
0: From the footage I saw, as brief as it was, it looked pretty cool. It just looks like something out of a movie, you know, like a giant mm-hmm. fire tornado. If anyone hasn't seen the video, just go ahead and check it out. California is crazy. All right. Yeah. I guess uh time to move on to some space here. Uh, this week in Spaceflight History, and it looks like this week we only have one winner.
1: Yeah, I think our only winner is Chubby Turkosi, So congrats. We have one person who didn't win, but is worth mentioning. So Mike Carper tweeted at us and he said, um, I thought you got the date wrong due to being sick, which, okay yeah sick burn, but I saw the x one, so me out, so I think he saw somebody guessing correctly and then provided his own guess, which has the wrong date um so I don't think that this is a win um sorry mike if if it was a win, and I'm And I'm misinterpreting you, but he brought forward a really great alternate event, which has the wrong date, but does fall or the wrong year, but is in the, in the right week range. It was, um, Excelsior three, um, Kittinger's right glove malfunction during the ascent and his right hand swelled to twice the normal size, which I do have to admit it fits the hint pretty perfectly. So the clue for last week was partial pressure, but complete recovery. So this week in space flight history is August 25th, 1949. It was XS-1 flight 124. So, so this is the X-1 airplane, right? The vehicle that first broke the sound barrier. And I wanted to give a quick history of how this thing works. So first off, it's a really cool rocket plane. It was, it was dropped mid-flight. So it couldn't actually take off by itself. It has a four-chambered liquid rocket engine. So there there are four chambers that can fire. So you could throttle it, but only in chunks of a fourth of your maximum. Um, and it burned ethyl alcohol and liquid oxygen. Actually, I think it was watered down ethyl alcohol and liquid oxygen. Just to give a quick timeline, um, flight number one took place on January 19th, 1946, and that was just a drop test. They didn't actually light up the engines until I think the 15th uh, flight. Then flight number 50, which is the first flight where they hit Mach 1, was October 14th, 1947. That was also called um, USAF number nine was the name of the mission. And that was Chuck Yeager doing his thing. So we're going to now rush forward to August 25th, 1949. You know, it's 124 flights in. Frank Everest is piloting the vehicle and um, a really cool thing happened. Well, a a bad thing, but, you know, a first. So he's in uh, a T1 partial pressure suit, which is really cool. It was actually made by the David Clark company, which went on later to build the Gemini suit. So it has these capsans running up the legs and up into like the lower hip area and then also on the outside of the arms and um they basically look like piping on a couch you know like a upholstered couch it's got you mean like the welt is it is it also called a welt okay so, yeah, it's it's like the welt on a couch where, you know, around the cushions and any right angle turns, basically, you have like this extra loop of, of fabric with like a plastic, plastic uh, pipe or a little bit of cord or something in it. And, and so these run up the sides and basically they're inflatable structures. So if you have a loss of cabin pressure, these things can puff up and tighten the suit up. And actually apply mechanical pressure to the body of the pilot so that you don't have to have actual atmospheric pressure surrounding the body. So, anyway, uh, Everest is flying uh, the X1 very, very high. Um, He was aiming, I think they were actually aiming for a higher altitude than this, um, but he got up to 21,000 meters. I believe the target was actually slightly above that because the flight previous, I think he had uh, hit like 22,000 meters or something like that. And so I, I think they're going for altitude records here. But anyway, so he's uh, he reaches 21,000 meters, which is uh, 67,000 feet. And anyway, so he, he's up at 21,000 meters and his cabin loses pressure. I wasn't able to figure out exactly what happened, uh, but the cabin depressurizes. And so his suit inflates, he gets um, pressurized air through his helmet and uh, he makes an emergency descent right back to uh, survivable altitudes. And he survived. It was a totally successful flight. He went on to fly the aircraft uh, many more times. Uh, I didn't, I didn't count, but I saw his name on the list a couple more times. And yeah, so it's the first use of a partial pressure suit to save a life. Like obviously people had worn them, but this is the first time that it actually saved a life. And, uh, you know, it was put to use in a very low, uh, a low pressure environment, which is pretty cool. I will have uh, as like a source link, a link to the Wikipedia page, but also a link um, to the Air and Space Museum's uh, website because they have a T1 suit uh, in their collection. I highly doubt it's this T1 suit, but it's a T1 suit. You can see photos of uh, the suit on a dummy and. Yeah. I mean, it's, it looks very snug, even when it's not inflated.
0: Your clue made me think that you are talking about, and I had to look up to get the details here. Uh, where is it here? I thought you were referring to the spacesuit vacuum test that went wrong. That was a uh, Jim LeBlanc. And uh, he, you know, he had mm-hmm. pretty much a full loss of pressure, um, but yeah. he did make a full recovery. Although, yeah, your clue was partial. What was it again?
1: Complete Recovery, I Okay, yeah.
0: So I got that one wrong. Although had I researched it, (laughs) I would have found out.
1: Yeah, this was a tough one. I'm very pleased that at least one person got this one because there are very few references to this uh, on the internet. And similarly, (laughs) my clue for next week is also quite obscure. So I hope that I'm making this fairly easy. The clue for next week is next week in 1960, Delos has a baby shower.
0: Yeah, that one's got me. Delos has a baby shower. I have no idea. But that's next week in 1960. Um, yeah, so I don't know. But uh, if you think you know it, that clue is in reference too. Uh, you could always give us a tweet with the hashtag this week SF and good luck.
1: Good luck, everybody.
0: Smithsonian is getting a renovation, the Smithsonian Museum.
1: Yeah. So so before we get into this, I want to point out that uh, Richard Durden pointed this out. And thank you so much, Richard, because I don't know if I know. I, I think it came up in my news feed, um, but I didn't really pay attention to it until you pointed it out. And this is pretty cool.
0: So, yeah, I haven't been to the Air and Space Museum since I was, I guess, 12 years old, somewhere around there. So
1: Yeah, me too. Wouldn't it be funny if we were both there at the same time and didn't yeah. know each other?
0: <laughs> that, that would be fun. I'm sure there were lots of people there who we didn't know um, or who we didn't know at the time. Yeah, you know what I mean, because right. it's, you know, D.C. It's always interesting to think about things like that. I would love to get back because I'm sure that it's a better, more interesting place and there's you know all kinds of new exhibits uh there's like a whole lot of Spacex stuff there at least a capsule or two uh, so anyway yeah go ahead and tell us about what this is about because this is not a topic that we would normally cover right we talk about space yeah. flight specifically but this is more about where you go to see uh, the yeah. relics of space this flight. makes
1: me really excited though so so they're partially closing the air and space museum uh, this fall. So I'm assuming you've got like a month or two to go see it and it's going to remain partially closed until 2024, which is a very long time, but I'm guessing by 2024, I'm going to have all my student loans paid off. I will have saved up some money. I'll probably have gotten a raise or two by then. And so my plan is now for 2024, I'm going to go see the new, Air and Space Museum as it opens. So what's really cool is not only are they building a new museum, they also have a new head, um, Ellen Stofan, who until recently worked for NASA. She was the uh, the head science advisor, I believe. Like she basically helped Charlie Bolden do his job by you know bringing him the the science that needed to happen also i'm really bummed that she, so she's a a mar or a a venus person like that's what she did her her education in was all about venus And in her time at NASA, we didn't send any probes to Venus. So, what's really interesting is in this uh, Politico interview, they actually ask her, So, you know, what would you like to see in the future? And the first thing she says is, I think we need to go to Venus. And I heartily agree, Ellen. I think that'd be really cool.
0: Like, Venus is, I don't think we've sent anything to Venus since. Well, when did we do that? Yeah. I mean, I know that the Russians did, in and that, in that was some of the earliest stuff that they had done, but we just don't send anything to Venus, really. Yeah,
1: not recently. Yeah. I think we have one mission in the pipeline, but it's not a lander. It's just an orbiter, I believe. Mm. Anyway, so... Uh, Ellen is now the head of the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. So this is so cool. So she has nearly a billion dollars allotted to this renovation. So about half of it's coming from the U.S. taxpayer and about the, you know, roughly half of it is coming from donations. They've pretty much secured all the money that they need right now. They've already got nearly two million dollars uh, from Congress, ready to go and, and so they 're going to start building this what 's really interesting is they don 't exactly know what 's going to happen so they they have a couple of focuses. Um, They want to focus on commercial space and new space um, because Ellen has this great quote where she says that this is history happening right now. And the worry is that we're going to lose pieces of our history if we don't start collecting it now. And that's, you know, that's how museums work. So she's going to be going to uh, commercial space companies and trying to collect artifacts from them now. So obviously their collection is what it is, but the, the exhibits that they want to put forward are for young teenagers, um, because uh, according to Stofan, that's when we begin to see kids losing interest in the sciences is around that age. And so she really wants to target uh, these kids. So they're going to be looking into the near future, because I think that's really intriguing. And basically... Um, i I think they're trying to build a case for going to Mars, um not only convincing people that going to Mars is a good thing but also showing how that 's likely to happen and then also um one of the big unknowns is that they want to start building virtual galleries and using a lot of technology in the physical galleries and since you know twenty twenty four is a ways off uh they don 't know what technologies are are going to be good choices and so Stofan specifically said I don't want to build something that looks like 2018. So they're going to have to stay flexible as they as they go through this renovation. But yeah, I love the idea of making their galleries accessible via the internet mm-hmm. um because, you know, the vast majority of humans can't go visit this one building.
0: I think that like focusing on commercial stuff is very important. I don't do you remember what the I mean cuz I couldn't tell you now what the ratio is of, you know, how many exhibits there are there now that are more focused on the military and then Uh those on commercial because I don't think that there's any... And it might just be for practical purposes that there aren't many large commercial aircraft that are at the Aerospace Museum. There might be like, you know, the Spruce Goose or not the actual Spruce Goose, but you know, like there might be something devoted to that. But it seems like it's mostly military-type stuff, just like government-type stuff. Yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah. I don't think there's much in the way of commercial stuff. And yet, right now, that is where most of the exciting stuff is happening. So it's kind of strange that when you think about it, it's like, you know, that's what people kind of want to see now. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but that's kind of what I want to see.
1: Well, I mean, it used to be that the government was the only organization that could go to space. And so, of course, that's what we saw. Mm -hmm. Um, especially considering that the Smithsonian Museum opened just after you know the moon landing. I mean, like a couple of years after we went to the moon. So,
0: but it is the Air and Space Museum, right? Yeah. I mean, there is some aircraft stuff there too, as well. And I'm just wondering, they've
1: got some beautiful aircraft there. Yeah,
0: but how much of that is non-military, just like yeah. commercial? And I don't remember what the right. numbers were, but I don't think it was much. You're right.
1: Yeah. But there we go. I, gu- I guess the point is, uh, get hype. For mm-hmm. 2024.
0: <laughs> cool. Yeah. And that gives us some time to save up and take a nice trip.
1: Yeah, we could we could do a visitor meetup there.
0: Right, yeah. That would be Or a the,
1: uh, listener meetup.
0: That would be probably the best place to do it. I think everyone would enjoy that and there's so much to see. Like you will not be disappointed if you go to the museum, you know, because it's one thing to go and watch a rocket launch that may or may not happen, and there's not much else to do besides, you know, but to go to the aerospace museum, yeah, that is kind of the perfect place to go visit because who doesn't love that? I think even people who aren't into aerospace love going to the air and space museum just because there's so much to see
1: yeah even if they don't spend as much time as you and i would staring at little tiny things yeah the big things are really fascinating okay well david let's let's go meet up at the air and space museum in 2024 let's go to the opening yeah
0: that's what we got six years to prepare for that so plenty of time
1: (laughs) i'll I'll buy you a drink
0: (laughs) cool so uh, next up in the news uh we have some more unusual russian satellite activity
1: yeah oh boy
0: so yeah just more things but okay, so. One interesting thing about this um, that has recently happened is that we're not talking about geostationary orbit, right, because we're talking about much lower orbits. And that is one thing to keep in mind because my first thought was, oh, there's some more stuff happening in geostationary orbit because that is where you can do the most maneuvers and you're far enough away, I guess, that maybe you can get away with something. Um, But that's where Russia has done some you know, kind of suspect things, but this is happening, I guess, in, yeah. what is it, higher orbit or medium?
1: Um, yeah. So the last thing that I remember was there was a geostationary Russian satellite that snuggled up real close to a couple of its neighbors and freaked everybody out. This is Cosmos 2, uh, 2519, 2519, I guess. This is... Old news, everything that we're talking about is, it mostly happened a while ago, and none of or this satellite didn't get close to any other satellite. So we don't know why this is concerning. And honestly, it probably isn't. But before we get to that discussion, let's talk about what's actually happened. So back in July, well, the 23rd of July, 2017, Cosmos 2519 launched on a Soyuz 2.1V, actually the third 2.1V. So that was, that was in July. On the 23rd of August, a month later, 2519 deployed another satellite that was then designated Cosmos 2521. In Russian media, they called it Sputnik Inspector. So the idea is that it's probably like an on-orbit refueling type of mission. You know, this is like not a mission that's way out there. Like, you know, the U.S. has, has tried things like this, and and indeed, um, twenty-five nineteen and twenty-five twenty-one acted pretty much exactly like you'd expect uh, satellites like this to happen. So throughout October, um, twenty-five twenty-one did a bunch of maneuvers, um, doing a a couple of different flybys. You know, some at like ten kilometers, some at, you know, as close to like I think two kilometers. Um, basically. You know practicing these kind of things a bunch of different maneuvers and then at the end of October so actually on the 30th of October 2017 one or the other of these two satellites deployed a third satellite gunter's space page specifically says that it was 2521 that deployed the third satellite but that's that's not super clear given the standard observational data that's available on the internet um, if gunter knows something specific maybe they can maybe they can be more specific but for everybody else else. We we don't know which one deployed a third spacecraft. And and that third spacecraft was then designated Cosmos 2523. So we have 1921 and then 23. So the most recent news is that there's been some uh, additional maneuvers. And maybe this is what looks suspicious uh, to the State Department. Um, But on the 30th of April this year, 2521... Lowered its orbit. So it was originally in a 664 by 660 kilometer orbit, which is you know pretty much circular. It dropped down into a much more elliptical orbit of 350 by 369 kilometers. And then during June and July 2519, the the first Satellite also dropped into an elliptical orbit and it did a couple of different uh, maneuvers to get there. But originally, it was in a very similar, you know, 600 by 600 kilometer orbit. You know, somewhere in the 650s, 660s. And it dropped uh, first its periapsis. So it went down to uh, 312 by 606. And then it actually raised its apoapsis. So now, as far as I know, it is in a 317 by 664 kilometer orbit. So also relatively elliptical. And then on the 20th of July, 2018. 2521 changed its orbit again to be even more elliptical. And so now it's in a uh, 292 by 348 kilometer orbit. Now these things uh, mostly just sound like demonstration kind of stuff, right? They're like, okay, look, we can rendezvous uh, with different spacecraft. We can do different deployments. And, you know, maybe they're trying to show that they can deploy different payloads, you know, take payloads to different places and deploy them. But on August the 14th, which is this this last week as we're recording, uh, the US State Department, a, a high-ranking official, started raising concerns um, about an unnamed spacecraft. And the clues that they drop indicate that it's probably Cosmos 2523, uh which is the third satellite that was deployed they call it i forget what the state department called it but they basically said it's uh a satellite observing satellite and it was deployed on the 30th of October last or it was deployed during October last year and there weren't any russian launches uh October last year that makes sense in that month um but you know if this they said deployed not launched so it sounds like they're talking about 2523 and from the data that's available to the public, there's nothing suspicious going on here. But the State Department uh, may have extra information that we don't, and they're saying that it looks it looks like it's a potential space weapon. So maybe this is somebody who's not super uh, well informed, seeing Russian satellites um, doing like a matroshka doll impression, <laughs> and then zipping around uh, low Earth orbit. But uh, I don't know. What what do you think, David? Do you think they have additional data that we don't know about?
0: Well, to be honest, I don't know either because it's possible for somebody to, you know, sort of make a mountain out of a molehill. Um, But it is also possible that there is information that they have that they do not want made public. So, yeah, that could be. I guess what I want to know is what... Could these satellites be doing if what they were doing was nefarious in some way like is this
1: yeah you know, right
0: is this like you know like an asAT thing where they're trying to deorbit some other satellite when you consider that uh for example satellite twenty five twenty one lowered from 664 kilometers down to 350, that's pretty significant, right? I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what kind of a Delta V change that requires, but that seems pretty impressive to me. So yeah. these things clearly have some pretty good maneuverability, and I don't know why they would need that.
1: Or they once did. Or Yeah, they
0: once did. Um, <laughs> why would you need to you know, be bouncing around low-Earth orbit? I don't know. I mean, it could be for satellite repair because that's kind of something that's being looked into. But that's generally for geosynchronous orbit. But at this altitude... It's possible that it is for purely scientific reasons, but it just is a little bit suspect. And I guess since we don't know what these satellites are exactly, right? I mean, that by itself, I guess, is maybe the reason why they're so concerned because we don't know what they are. So just through process of elimination, we can conclude that this is for some kind of a military purpose, or at least that's probably how the State Department is thinking of it.
1: Well, if you want to get really conspiratorial, uh, maybe the orbit that uh, 2523 put itself into intersects with a cloaked uh, stealth ship that the U.S. government has in in an orbit that we don't know about. And that's that's what's scary. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows.
0: Could be. I mean, that's possible. Well, not cloaked if you mean like cloaked, cloaked. But yeah, yeah something right, right. that's able to avoid radar detection. Yeah. I guess I would be surprised if this kind of thing wasn't happening. You know, that's that's maybe right. the best way to put it. time to do some short and sweet. So we got two of them this weekend. What's our first one?
1: All right. Crew access is coming to pad 39A. The crew access arm that will enable boarding of the Dragon spacecraft has arrived at Kennedy Space Center for installation at pad 39A. The access arm will be installed and tested before the uncrewed orbital demonstration flight, which is scheduled to lift off in November. It will sit 70 feet higher than that of the space shuttle, about as high as the shuttle's gaseous oxygen vent arm, the the cap on top of the ET. The crew access arm for the Boeing Starliner has already been installed at nearby pad 41.
0: Next up, RS-25 test fire was cut short. A 500-second test fire of the RS-25 engine or test engine 0525 was cut short at Stennis Space Center due to a facility issue. The engine test was aborted at 319 seconds and, according to one source, was the result of an LH transfer initiation issue. The good news is that the engine itself is not at fault and the systems being acceptance tested performed nominally. And before the abort, the engine was throttled its full test range from 80% to one hundred eleven percent of its rated power level. Uh, so, I guess a success.
1: They called it a success. So, three
0: hundred nineteen seconds of success out of five hundred seconds because it couldn't be <laughs> tested the full range.
1: Okay, stand by. We're looking at it.
0: Questions, comments, and correction burns. We got a couple things to talk about this week. First up is a correction from Nero Bro uh, via our. Subreddit. So he has a couple points. First off was some of the numbers you were throwing out there. I
1: don't want to talk about this.
0: <laughs> I don't remember the details exactly, but I do know that during the editing of the show, I noticed that you had some numbers way off, but I think that you were just so I I kind of did the best that I could to kind of like edit them out but it probably okay. wasn't made very clear what you were trying to say. So that's probably just because you said like, you know, 2,000 when you meant 2 million or 500 when you meant 500,000.
1: Or some completely unrelated numbers because, uh, yeah, I'm not good at researching on the fly. Well,
0: I mean, you had the right notes. It's just that you weren't reading the right numbers. And that's just because you sometimes tend to read, you know, a large number as a small one just yeah. because of that whole numerical yeah. dyslexia thing. So, yeah, I think that that's all that that was.
1: Okay, so my Aptitude aside, NeroBro does have some interesting uh, things to talk about. So, we were talking about what it takes to survive super high temperatures near the sun. And um, NeroBro was pointing out that, you know, even though we're talking about 2 million degree particles, you could survive being hit by a 10 million degree particle as long as it's just one of them, right? That's, that's not presenting too big of an issue. So the, the sun shield is mostly for radiative heat coming from the sun, you know, for the electromagnetic radiation. And then a lot of that is being rejected out the backside. They have a fairly large heat sink in the, in the back that can re-radiate heat back out into the atmosphere. So Parker solar probe is going to stay cool by heating up galaxies Hmm. uh, across the universe um, but the analogy that Nero Bro gave that I think is really good is think about the difference between a hundred and forty degree sauna, which is hot, but Easily survivable for an hour versus a hundred and forty degree bath. The bath can dump way more energy into your tissues, and it will kill you within, you know, a minute or whatever. Um, but a hundred and forty degree sauna is very bad at delivering that energy into your tissues, and so you can survive it. So it's a good idea to keep density in mind here. Yes, there may be very, very high temperatures, but how many particles at those high temperatures are are actually hitting the spacecraft.
0: That makes sense. And I did take that into consideration. I guess it's just that my intuition, which is apparently wrong, tells me uh, that just Mm -hmm. the radiation alone would be so intense. We're talking about some very intense temperatures. And just in the EM, not talking about particles, but just radiative heat, that alone, I wouldn't have thought that you could reflect it or deflect it or whatever with such efficiency because we're very close to the sun at this range. But, you know, I, I guess I'm wrong because obviously it can be done. I suppose that that's just because it has a very efficient sun shield. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, from what I understand, they're, they're pretty much on the border of being able to actually survive. Like their heat shield is good, but this is about the best that humanity can do at the moment. Um mm-hmm. you know, obviously we're going to learn more in the future, but but right now this is this is on the edge of what we're able to do. Yeah. Moving
0: on to our next thing, um we have an announcement, kind of a big one really, right? Yeah. Which I'm kind of excited about.
1: So where do you want to begin? Okay, so so let's talk about the history of the podcast real quick. I have written a post that's on Patreon that as the show uh if you're listening to the show, it should be public and anybody can listen to or can, can read it. Um, It's been only available to our Patreon supporters for the last seven days and and now it should be public. So in that post, I was kind of, we're making an announcement. I'm trying to figure out a good way to put this. And as I was thinking about it, I realized that our show is in its second season. Uh, The first season was what up to episode 14 or 15, where we were doing every other week. And we had a lot of uh, in-depth uh, topics. It was a f- a pretty different show to what it's been over the last what sixty episodes or whatever the you know sixty a hundred uh, sorry a hundred and sixty episodes worth of season two, which is where we're doing weekly and you know we do interviews now and again, um, but it's mostly spaceflight news. And in season two, we've come up with some really cool stuff like. Uh, This Week in Spaceflight History, I think, uh, works really well. And then recently, um, Short and Sweet, which I think is a great way to talk about subjects that we don't want to sit and actually have a full discussion about. And now we're looking at Season 3. We want to do something different, and uh, we have some pretty exciting changes coming. I don't know how much you think about this, David, but I spend a decent amount of time in my day thinking about what these changes are going to look like. And there's one big one that I'm going to save for the end. And that big one is gonna allow us to do some some of these other things. So okay. does that work ordering it like that?
0: That does work, except that now, yeah, that last big one that you want to save up for, I guess I can't comment on that. But yeah, let's just say that <laughs> let's just say that we kinda fell into a routine that kind of worked, and so that happens, you know, with everyone. And so you stop thinking about how you can improve things and you also stop thinking yeah. about maybe what you're Very first vision was for something because I did have, you know, a pretty good idea of how the show should work. And I kind of just said, well, you know, this is working too. So let's just kind of stick with that. But really, there are some things that probably should have been done much earlier, let's say. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a good idea of what I would like to see, but then again, once you get into the details, you start to realize that okay, there are some things that still need some work and we need to kind of, you know, like brainstorm and we have to think this through a little bit, but definitely yes. there are some bigger changes that we could make and at this point now, we are looking into actually doing that, so that is yeah. exciting.
1: Yeah, So so one of the big things that we want to do is we want to do more original content interviews and by original content, I mean like the original um like big topics that we would do. We internally we called them spaceflight 101 topics. They were where we take a a big idea and just do a bunch of research and um it wasn't about news. It was just about knowledge. And I, I think those were really valuable. And I, I think a lot of our listeners have talked to us and you know the feedback that we've gotten has been hey this was really valuable. I want to see this again. That that takes a lot of work um, so we need to make some changes if we're going to make that happen, but that's definitely something that we want to make happen. Also, um, I want to get more interviews. I want to be able to go do uh, that, com- complete our list of interviewing every single desk and ISS MCC, uh, the Mission Control Center, I want to I hit every single desk. And it takes a decent amount of time to set up an interview. Forget actually recording the interview, just finding people and scheduling things. I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of time. So that's another thing that I want to be able to put some extra time into. Secondly, we want to be able to feature more of our community members in the show. You guys are such a huge resource for us. I mean, when we get corrections, it's us learning because you guys did research. That happens a lot. And that's the best way for us to learn because we're always getting these
0: little corrections. Or, you know, whoever is in our chat room, uh, they're always giving us valuable information like on the fly, which is actually maybe like one of the most helpful things. (laughs) So. That's always a good right. way to you know participate in the show um, because we very much appreciate it.
1: it. This could really easily turn into, hey, we want you guys to come do the show for us. <laughs> but fr- from the discussions I've been having with Patreon supporters, um, especially the folks in, in our Slack channel, they're – are some really good ideas out there. And there are people who want to take part in helping us create content. Like They're like, hey, I have this cool idea. Can we go do this? And and so this is still in the works, but I I think what we're going to do is we're going to have a pipeline that will help people suggest topics better. And when they do suggest a topic, if they have some extra research Um, some extra time that they want to help put into the show, we can not only help get that information into the show, but also either bring them on to actually help present the information or have a hand in how it's presented. And and I think that's going to be really cool. We also have something that's kind of related to that, that I don't want to really talk about, but um, potentially we will have a steady source uh, visitors coming in, not doing interviews about their job, but presenting research that they've done and, and bringing some fresh voices. Um, and then uh, the third bullet point I have is favoring content over volume. Um, and this is one of the ways that we might end up making some wiggle room is we might drop down to every other week. David and I both think that it's an acceptable thing to do. Um, the listeners that we've had discussions with also say it's it's okay to do that if that's what it takes. Um, so that, that may be an option because I, I feel like right now we're doing a lot of you know reading articles and then turning around and basically restating the article and that's that's not super valuable to the community
0: and if That's all we're doing, then yeah, that might happen. But I will say that doing just a once every two weeks episode, that is really, for me, at least contingent on how much other content we can produce. Because, like, if we can be original and we do have enough stuff there, then of course we can do it every week. So that's not necessarily like written in stone by any means. It would be less editing, I guess, for me. But at the same time, I like having something to do in that sense. Like, I. I like doing a podcast a week because we started off doing just one yeah. episode every two weeks. And then we had, you know, those big space like one on one segments. And so we did a lot of research, you know, and that's kind of how it all started off.
1: And that was interesting because we recorded every week, but we only published every other week.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yep. That's how we did yeah. it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so, you know, if we, if we end up dropping down to every other week, it's going to be because we need more time to produce segments, not because we're, Bringing less content.
0: Yeah, because those were always, those episodes were always like an hour and a half or even longer. They were big ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like a good three hours of raw audio that we had to edit down.
1: Yeah. So, so if that's something that really uh, bums you out and you are not interested in listening to the show, if it's, you know, if it's every other week, like let us know. Like all of this, we're, we're requesting feedback on. And the the Patreon post is going to have more information. Um, And we we really want to hear you guys um, give us your opinions, even if it's just an opinion, you know, even if you don't, Have a concrete suggestion. If just something sounds good or something sounds bad, just just let us know. So uh, the the final bit, David, did you wanna you wanna say this? Yeah.
0: So uh, the final thing and something that I think this was something that I had in mind from the very outset when I first found you, Ben, and then I just kind of said, hey, we're good, but actually maybe we should have pursued this a bit more. Is getting a third host, or maybe even more than that, actually, but yeah, at least a third host. So that is what we are. Looking for and yeah, that is probably the most exciting thing because I I just love the idea. I don't know about you, but I like a podcast with a good you know three or more hosts. Um, I just mm-hmm. love the dynamic. Um, it feels fun to me, like more fun or funner, whichever the adjective is. Um, <laughs> I still don't know.
1: Yeah, and, and so what what is likely to happen is um, we'll start off with three people hosting the show all together. So we're more likely to to fall back into sort of the the NPR style where like uh, um, there you know there's a dedicated host or two but then there are segments that are done by other people and so i'm um, i'm hoping that we can have sort of a flow back and forth um and for me that's important because i want to be able to take weeks where i don't record um either to go do personal stuff but more uh, more importantly to spend the couple of hours that i spend on sunday mornings recording and dump that time into scheduling interviews and doing dedicated research and um, listening to the show as it's being recorded and helping to go find more information as it comes up. So uh, so yeah, so we're, we're looking for a third host. This is tough. This is this is our casting call. This is a tough job. It's very much a labor of love. We are asking a lot out of whoever uh, is interested in joining up. So, so here's a quick breakdown. You're not going to get paid. Uh, David and I don't take any money out of Patreon for ourselves. We pay for... For equipment and and things like that and travel, um, but we don't we don't pay ourselves. Um, so so you're not going to get paid. And the work that you're going to be asked to do is you know helping to write weekly segments, uh, or you know the, like the weekly show, and then also like periodic segments as we're doing you know deep research kind of kind of stories. And the payback that you get is a will. You know, we'll get you equipment if it's needed. And, you know, we'll replace equipment. So if something breaks, don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. But also, we want to give you a creative voice. We want you to impact our show. We're not asking somebody to come in and be an intern and just churn out. Uh, product, we want somebody who's going to be part of the team, and you know, not only helping us make these decisions, but also to produce of the voice of the show. So, in particular, you know, we're we're open to anybody; anybody can apply to this. Um, but in particular, I think we want somebody who doesn't sound like us, um, somebody who uh, hopefully is uh, not. You know, checking all the boxes of a cis, straight, white male, which is what David and I very much come off as. And so, you know, if if that's you, that's fine. Go ahead and apply. Um, we've actually already had um, at least one person come—well, like one and a half people—come <laughs> forward and say, "Hey, I tick all those boxes. That that's absolutely me. But I want to do this. So that we're—you know it is not going to disqualify you. But if you're not like us, please, we we really would love to hear from you because you know, humanity and, and the spaceflight industry is not just, uh, you know, white cis males like us.
0: Coming at it from a, uh, production perspective, which is kind of how I look at it. Um, and I think I, <laughs> and, and I think I mentioned this to you a long, a long time ago is that I would like to have, you know, just a female co-host just because, you know, it just adds a certain dynamic. It's pretty simple. Is it
1: aesthetically? It sounds better. It's
0: kind of like, that is how I look at the production of the show. It's just like, if I were to make a movie, you don't have all men and you don't have all women. You don't want that. It's just no fun. If It's all the same kind of people. So there's a certain kind of a tone. Diversity is good for every group. Yeah. It's just more interesting to me. I don't know how else to put it. One other thing I would stress about, you know, the requirements, kind of like you said, it is a labor of love. And the reason why I picked you when I was first, you know, creating the show is because you told me that this was a lot of work, which that actually (laughs) made me realize, okay, he knows what's involved. So, yeah, it does require, I guess, showing up on time and showing up every week and just, you know, being reliable. That kind of goes without saying, but it should still be said you kind of have to treat it like a job in some sense, which is how I look at it. And that's the only way that I've been able to do this so far is because you just do it whether you want to or not, you just get up and do it. And that actually is a requirement for doing a podcast, as it turns out. So if you don't know that, that's how it works.
1: And, you know, one one day we may end up taking payout for ourselves, but I wouldn't. Yeah, we couldn't afford to do that. So, OK, so if this sounds interesting to you, um, if, if you're interested in uh, responding to our casting call, Get a hold of us any way you like. Twitter DMs are fine, uh, emails fine. Uh, that's info at theorbitalmechanics.com. If you want to ask us questions, uh, probably going to the Patreon page is is a good place to ask detailed more you know questions about more detail because we've already had a couple of questions like that. So that's probably a good place to get everything all in one place. Um, if you go to the Patreon page and, and post a comment on the post, um, of course the post will be linked in the show notes. Um, but just just get in touch. We would love to have a little bit of background on you, but we will also throw questions at you if that's, uh, if that's what it takes. So yeah, uh, get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you.
0: All right. So with all that said, let's move on to the upcoming spaceflight events. Uh, We have a couple of launches and one other thing, a conference. So what is our first launch?
1: All right. So our first launch is a Vega flying ADM Aeolus, which is an Earth observation satellite, you know, obviously uh, flown by ESA and it's going to a sun synchronous orbit to monitor weather. And so let's see, this is flying on August the 21st, the day that this episode comes out at 21 20 utc so that'll just barely uh happen after this show is published
0: then the next launch is on august 26th and that's the launch of a falcon 9 block 5 with telstar 18 vantage that is launching from space launch complex 40 at cape canaveral telstar 18 vantage or telstar 18v it's a communications satellite built by space systems Loral or laurel for the Canadian satellite operator TELSAT. So that's according to launch library. And the launch window for that is 0333 through 0733 UTC. uh, And that's on the 26th or the 25th at 11.33 p.m. Eastern Time. So you have to take into account that it's a different day since it's just before midnight here on the East Coast. So that's a four-hour launch window, so plenty of time to, I guess, sit and wait for them to reset and reset again (laughs) if there is some sort of issue. And then also just one last announcement, and we don't do these very often, but also a conference, the 21st Annual International Mars Society Convention, and that is happening in Pasadena, California. That is on the 23rd through the 26th. I guess even if you don't go, you're going to see posts on YouTube or whatever. Whatever. And they always have interesting speakers. I'm sure Bob Zubern will be presenting or presiding or whatever because he tends to be the main dude. But yeah, the International Mars Society, I do enjoy watching their stuff. And I guess that's it, huh? Yep.
1: Those are your upcoming spaceflight events.
0: So let's go ahead and do up with the show and we will cue the music, most of which is brought to you by Ronald Jenkins. Check him out at ronaldjenkins.com and some of which is brought to you by Tim Dodd, the Everyday Astronaut.
1: If you liked this episode, please review us on iTunes and
0: Stitcher. And if you enjoyed our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at Patreon.com. Orbital Podcast, Thanks to our $5 and up Patreon supporters in the Ground Control chat room listening to the show live. You can connect with us on Twitter and Reddit at Orbital Podcast. You can send questions and comments to info at theorbitalmechanics.com.
1: For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, please visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. Be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. And that is all. So we will see you in one week on Orbit. Until
0: then, later. Goodbye, everybody.